Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, we can open them up this morning to Philippians chapter 4. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been going through the book of Philippians and we've arrived at chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. A number of years ago, a, a, a man by the name of Demas Shakarian, who was the founder of an organization called Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, uh, wrote a book, and he titled that book, The Happiest People on Earth. And of course, it's referencing the people of God, and he is setting out in his book every, that we have every reason to be happy, right? Because of who we belong to, because we are his people, we have every reason to be happy, every reason. I mentioned last night, uh, this week, in preparing this, this message, a memory came to me from way back in the early days of the 60s and 70s during the Jesus movement. Some of you might have been around back then, I don't know. But we used to sing this song as a really, really simple song. We used to sing this song that went like this. Happy, 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 happy. Had a lot of words. <laughs> and then, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about that, I found myself asking myself, how many times back then did I sing that song and not fully realize or understand what I was singing? The, the impactful, powerful words in that simple little chorus. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Wow. Now, of course, when we use the word happy, we're not thinking of it and we are not using it in terms of how the world likes to use it. In other words, the world may come and say, um, so what makes you happy? I mean, what are they saying when they say that? What situation, what external circumstance does it take to make you a happy person? But that's not the kind of happy we're talking about. The happy we're talking about is something that comes from within, Right? Because Christ Jesus is now living in our hearts, and so we can be people of joy and contentment and fulfillment, happy. There are a couple of ladies that Paul's going to be talking about here and addressing in Philippians chapter 4 who are anything but happy. In fact, they're kind of mad with one another, and they're, they're causing, obviously, a bit of a problem in this fourth chapter, but he's not only speaking to them and encouraging them, but obviously because it's in the Bible, because it's God's word, he's speaking to us as well, okay? That we need to not do like what they ended up doing, these two ladies that obviously had gotten their eyes off of God. They've gotten misdirected and distracted to what was truly important and got themselves on themselves and their little situation. And so Paul's going to address that as he once again, in this letter that is all about joy, talk about that once again. We see in verse 1 a word, it starts off with verse 1, 
a word that Paul likes to use. We have talked about it, the word therefore. And you know why it's there, right? Because it is a linking term, meaning that what has just been said is tied to what is about to be said. And so that's what we have here. And so in this sense, in this case, and in this context, Paul has been talking about in chapter 3, the resurrection power of God and how it is available to us to live a life in terms of standing firm and, and living in as an overcomer and being victorious, having joy no matter what is going on around us. And so the that's the link that is taking place between chapter 3 and chapter 4. He's talking about God's power. We know that God's power is no match for man's problems. Would you agree? Now, we also know that there are no shortage of man's problems, mankind. But we also need to be reminded, neither is there a shortage of the power of God to take care of those problems. This means that we can live a life of faith. And what we've been talking about in this Philippian letter, a life of selfless humility and sacrificial living, because in those is where we find true, lasting joy. Sacrificial living, selfless humility, as well as trusting and obeying the commands of the Lord, which also means that we can stand firm, in what we know to be true. Think about that. No matter what might be going on, no matter the chaos, no matter how difficult the situation, we can always come back to what we know is true. And what is it that we know that is true? That our God is almighty, that he is powerful, and he's in control. That nothing is going to happen that he cannot handle. That's what we know to be true. Therefore, we can stand solid and firm, full of joy, happy people. <laughs> Let's look at verse 1, see what he says. So there, there's that word, therefore. My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And there's the connection with the therefore. He's saying stand firm in this way. In what way? In everything that has just previously been laid out for us in terms of his instruction and his encouragement. Stand firm. Well, what does it look like? What does it mean to stand firm? Perhaps we might picture a believer remaining faithful, like, you know, standing like a tall oak tree, not wavering no matter how fierce the storm. Or maybe we think of someone all decked out in the armor of God, um, resisting the schemes of the devil, dodging and deflecting his fiery arrows of temptation. Actually, Paul applies the principle here, standing firm in relation to the experiences of anger and anxiety. That's the context that he's using that now here in chapter 4. Anger causes outward conflict, which is he's going to be dealing with. Anger causes outward conflict and division, while anxiety leads to inward turmoil 
and despair. Now, this isn't the first time that the Apostle Paul mentions this crucial principle. He did back in chapter 1, verse 27. Some of you may remember. It says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm, there it is, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There is the encouragement. There's the call to come back to what we know is true, to get back to what we know that is truly important, the most important. Now, as far as Paul is concerned, this is foundational. Standing firm includes following the Lord's commands, believing His Word, embracing His priorities, loving His people, and following His example. Those who stand firm in the Lord have Jesus Christ not only as their Savior, but becomes our common ground. Amen? You've heard the phrase, I I so appreciate it, the ground at the foot of the cross is what? It's level. Our common ground. Jesus, our Lord. It's like Paul is saying, why be sad? Why be mad? (laughs) When you can choose to be happy and glad. (laughs) Almost sounds like a song, doesn't it? I came across this little quote. This is what it says. You can never have too much happy. <laughs> that got me thinking. You know, I, I've, I don't think I've ever had someone come to me and say, I wish I wasn't so happy all the time. <laughs> have you ever had that happen? I haven't. No one has ever come to me and said, I am sick and tired of feeling so joyful and optimistic every single day of my life. Not, that hasn't happened. <laughs> and you can be sure that there's a couple of women in the church at Philippi who aren't there either. Look at verse 2. I plead with you, Odea, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I think it's possible that Paul may have had these two ladies in mind when he said what he said in verse 1 with regards to standing firm. These two who belong to the church at Philippi are in an unresolved dispute because they lost sight of what was truly important. You see, by dissolving the dissension is what we're being encouraged here to always be about. These two women would be applying the principle of standing firm in the Lord by being of the same mind in the Lord, which would mean being in agreement, being in harmony, being at peace, experiencing joy. Now, when I talk about them being in agreement, I'm not saying that one of them had to give up whatever it was they were thinking and then 
had to go with what this person is thinking. The agreement we're talking about is Jesus is Lord. He's what matters. He is what's important. It's because we belong to him. We represent him. That's what matters. To be in agreement about that is where they're being directed and encouraged. So this doesn't mean that one's got to change their opinion and hook up with the other. No, there is room for difference of opinions and originality of thought in the church. There can be diversity without division, a difference of methods without a conflict, and disagreement without a departure of fellowship. That can be amongst mature followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not sure exactly what the conflict is between these two. Paul never tells us. But it was significant enough that Paul felt the need to mention these two by name. And yet was insignificant enough that Paul knew it could be worked out if they would only make the effort to do so. That was all. In other words, Paul doesn't even bother mentioning the issue in dispute, suggesting it wasn't a major deal. And by that, what I'm saying here is I think what Paul is letting us know, this wasn't like a doctrinal issue. It wasn't because someone was buying into some doctrinal error. If that was the case, Paul would have addressed it. We would have known about it. Don't think that's it at all. It wasn't a major deal. However, we can assume these two women had taken a small matter and had turned it into a big matter. How do we know that? Because Paul sees a need to call them out by name in a letter that is written to the entire church. It isn't just written to these two, it's written to the entire church. These two women had caused a ruckus over something minor, and it probably started to affect the church in a major kind of way. Now, please, all you ladies here, we're not picking on women, because we all get involved in this, don't we? Every single one of us can get caught here in this, thinking that our opinion matters more than the other person's. I'm right, you're wrong. And we can get there and we can harbor bitter feelings, ill feelings toward one another. And this is what's being talked about. This applies to about, and this is my number, and I don't know how accurate it is. I think I'm probably fairly close in this number. I think this applies to about 99% of our conflicts. <laughs> they can be worked out. If we'll just do it, if we'll practice what we've been talking about in this Philippian letter on selfish humility, sacrificial living, they can be resolved if we'll just take a step in that direction. Paul is reminding these two, once again, who they are, who they belong to, who they represent. And who they're living for. He's saying, you're followers of Christ. Act like it. <laughs> Settle the dispute. 
Now, I want you to know at this point, and I really want you to hear this. Every single one of us need to hear this. Embrace it. Live it. At this point, it is not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about who you represent. It's about maturity in the Lord. It's about for the sake of fellowship. Carry enough about that. And that fellowship being unbroken. Biblical counsel can be so simple, amazingly simple. To those entangled in interpersonal conflicts, we can be like Paul and say, even if you're technically right in any given argument, hear me now, even if you're technically right in any given argument, you are spiritually wrong. Because the Lord wants you to be forgiving and gracious and merciful. How are those shoes fitting? Yeah. Unselfish humility, sacrificial living makes for happy. You can get rid of a lot of anger and anxiety and discontent in your life if you'll just make an effort to dissolve the dissension. Make an effort. Some of you who've been around a while, you've been anticipating this one because I've been saying it a lot. If you make an effort to get over yourself. Now notice what Paul adds in verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 now, okay? He says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Now, these, these two ladies are fellow workers. They worked right alongside in the ministry of the Apostle Paul there in the city of Philippi, the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, don't pick sides and join the feud. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't go there. Don't do that. In other words, instead, help them dissolve the feud. Help them get over it. Help them get past it. Paul calls on others to help in the reconciliation process. There are times when a division is so deep and a dispute so long-standing that it requires accountability from someone else, an objective third party who can serve as, a, as an arbitrator, if you will. In this case, Paul requests that the true companion, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers, help these women get things resolved. Now, we don't know who true companion is. It's suggested that this could actually be the translation of a nickname that was given to somebody 
at the church in Philippi who was well-known, well-respected, and very capable of handling a situation that's going on with these two ladies. We do not know. Perhaps it's someone, some have suggested it's maybe it's Timothy, or maybe it's Epaphroditus. Some have even suggested that it's the Philippian jailer whom Paul rescued. Remember, I mean, we say rescued because of that earthquake that God sent shakes the prison. The prisoners are set free. Paul's set free, but because he's a Roman guard, he can't deal with what's going to be coming to him because prisoners have been lost. He's about to take his own life, and Paul stops him and leads him and his entire family to the Lord. Regardless of who it is, this person was well-known again and well-respected and obviously well-qualified to serve as a mediator to help bring about reconciliation. Paul is no doubt encouraging here a speedy reconciliation by reminding the two disputing women that they were one in the Lord. Not to be separate, but one in the Lord with the common hope of eternal life. And we're part of a community of co-workers focused on a common goal. Let's read on verses 4 through 7 now. I'm going to read these verses. You can follow with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. There it is. (laughs) I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, In verses 1 through 3, we saw how standing firm in the Lord precedes relating well with the family of God. Now in verses 4 through 7, Paul explains how standing firm in the Lord relieves our fear, our doubt, our anxiety. When we're uptight inwardly, we'll be uptight outwardly. Correct? Yeah. It's hard to have joy when you're worried and anxious about every little thing. Have you found that to be true? The good news here is that you don't have to be anxious about every little thing. (laughs) The point of this passage is the peace of God and the presence of the God of peace. You don't have to live in a constant state of uncertainty. Why? Because we know that God is in control. This is bringing it back to what we know to be true, that He's in control. We know that He has a plan and that we can trust that plan. And we know that nothing will happen, as I said earlier, that He cannot handle nothing. Nevertheless, it seems... We've come to a point in our society, in our times, where worry has become epidemic. Oddly enough, some 
seem to treat anxiety like a close friend. They don't want to lose. They excuse it, make room for it, accommodate it, pamper it. They treat it like a destructive, codependent relationship, and it eats away at their joy day after day after day. Think about what worry really is and does. When we worry, when anxiety is having its way, we're preoccupied with distressing doubts and fears. Burdened by the past, nervous about the present, tormented by the future. We live in the realm of what ifs. This kind of mental and emotional tension can't be healthy. Would you agree? No wonder Jesus took worldly anxiety and worry head on in his Sermon on the Mount, specifically found in Matthew chapter 6. Five times in that well-known passage, the Greek term meaning to worry appears. Couple examples. For this reason, I say to you, Jesus speaking, do not be worried about your life. Matthew 6, 25. And then he said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Matthew 6, 35. For those who engage in nonstop fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, find their entire lives out of balance, out of kilter, teetering on the brink of a disastrous breakdown. And so to combat, to combat this dangerous path, Paul recenters our focus on rejoicing in the Lord. And then notice the important one single word, always. always. Not when you feel like it. Right. Not when everything is going your way. Always, regardless, rejoice. The happiest people on earth should be us. In a letter in which joy has been a constant theme, it's no surprise that Paul reiterates that theme here right now again by refocusing on the joy we have in Christ our Lord. We begin at that point. Oh, it's just so amazing. God's goodness to us and the provision he has for us. If we'll just take him up on it, if we'll just do it. At that point, when we begin to get refocused and recentered and come back to what we know is true and begin to rejoice no matter what. You know what's going on when we do that? We begin to pour water, living water, on the flames of fear, doubt, and anxiety. Douse it out. Pour it on <laughs> by rejoicing, being a person of joy. In verse 5, Paul relays two more dimensions of the joyful life in the Lord, both of which can help us combat anxiety. First, when we let a gentle spirit shine through in our words, in our attitudes, and our actions, it will have a transformative effect on our hearts and minds. Now, that's good news, church. We discover the power to relax 
and let things go, we can extend a hand of grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Accept differences, letting the insignificant remain just that, insignificant. Second, we need to always bear in mind that the Lord is near. This is what the apostle tells us. The fact that Christ could step into this world at any moment to take us to be with him forever can and should give us hope and peace in every moment that we experience here on this earth, in this life. Comfort in Christ's promised return smothers the smoldering anxiety fed by fears of the future. We find in verse 6 another cure for worry is to bring our concerns to God in prayer. Instead of living uptight, tense, uneasy lives, we need to bring everything, everything to Him. As Paul says, by prayer and petition, then notice, with thanksgiving. And everything, again, does mean everything. This is so key. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. If you feel agitated, if you're scared, if you're burdened or being haunted by the past, go to God and ask Him to help you get past whatever it is that you're struggling with. When you do these things, rejoice in the Lord, exhibit gentleness, expect Christ's return, and reach out to God in prayer, then God's Spirit will quench the flames of anxiety in your heart and in your mind. And the result will be what we see in verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. What does that mean? The world looks at you and sees a joyful countenance, a joyful heart, smile on your face. You actually look happy. But they also know that you're going through a tough time. And so they can't figure that out. Hey, you're not supposed to be happy right now. You're supposed to be all weirded out because of what's going on. But at that point, who are we representing? Who is it all about? Him, right? The joy that we can have, the peace that comes, that passes all understanding, all found in Jesus. One of the best ways to extinguish conflict with our brothers and sisters is to count our blessings and to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing is a great antidote, brothers and sisters. It is. It's a great antidote for discouragement, for depression, for division, for any kind of dissension. According to a study conducted by the University of Maryland in Baltimore, a Dr. Michael Miller, who conducted the study, says that laughter releases chemicals into the bloodstream that relax the blood vessels. In addition, hearty laughter, he says, reduces blood pressure and heart rate. Miller, who is the director of the Center for Preventive Cardiology at the university, interviewed 150 patients who had suffered heart problems and 150 other people who had not suffered 
heart problems. They were all asked questions, the very same questions, to measure their response in typical day-to-day situations. The results showed that individuals with heart problems were 40% less likely to respond with laughter. Interesting. You see, worry, anxiety pulls a person apart because the person is trying to live a life without a dependence and a trust in God. Someone has said, I want you to hear this. I thought this was pretty powerful. Someone has said the average person crucifies their self between two thieves. One, the regrets of yesterday. Second, the worries of tomorrow. Wow. Paul says the antidote, rejoice always, pray always, and experience peace always. Such a deal. At a conference at a Presbyterian church in Omaha, Nebraska, people were given helium-filled balloons and told to release them at any point during the church service when they felt an emotion of happy (laughs) or joy. Okay, now, it's a Presbyterian church. They're not necessarily free to use words like hallelujah (laughs) or praise God. So they were given helium balloons. And at any point they had that feeling, they could just let go of the balloon. When the church service was over, there were some that were released, but there were more than a third of balloons still being clutched in the hands of those people. Here's what I want to say to you folks. Let your balloon go. (laughs) Let it go. And referring to a verse that Marilyn mentioned this morning, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Verses 8 and 9 now. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul concludes this section with some very simple, practical ways to continue to experience the presence of the God of peace. In verse 6, we have those things of which we are to get rid of, right? Especially anxious thoughts. But now Paul gives us a list of things that are to replace those things of verse 6 that are to occupy our minds as the replacement. First, we need to clean up our thinking by feeding our minds with positive Christ-like thoughts. 
regardless of our difficulties, disappointments, or our heartaches, focusing our minds on, let's look at the list again real quickly, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. We do that, it will get the job done, (laughs) promised by God. A change in our patterns of thinking in these areas will result in a greater peace with others and a deeper peace with our God and in our own hearts. The spiritual virtues of verse 8 are a command, folks, to obey. Okay, I think it's important we understand that. They are a command to obey, not a request to consider. (laughs) They are not suggestions, commands. As we put God's truth into action in our lives, we will Enjoy the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace in our hearts. And then Paul reminds us of what he told us back in chapter 3, verse 17. We need to focus our attention not only on Christ, but also on trustworthy examples. And so whenever the Philippians needed their faith, their love, or their hope and courage, they could look to Paul's example as he followed the example of Jesus Christ, as he allowed his own life to be filled with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Though we don't have Paul around today, God always places in our lives observable examples who can spur us on, just as we're encouraged to do in Hebrews 10, 24 to growth, and to help us experience Christ in a deeper and more meaningful way. A Dr. A.C. Dixon of Spurgeon's Tabernacle once made this statement. He said, when we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we get, I love this, what God can do. Which do you prefer? When God answers our prayers, peace floods our hearts and our lives. Anxiety is conquered. It is overcome. And a bond of love and unity within the faith community wins the day. It's then we find ourselves standing firm in the Lord. No longer mad and sad, but instead happy and glad. Father, we come before you this morning and we want to we say thank you for always speaking to our hearts, for always bringing the challenge and the conviction as well as the encouragement that we need to get our lives to a place where we're not living for our own will, our own sakes, for our own pleasure, for yours. Not losing sight 
of who we belong to, of whose we are, of who we represent. Never losing sight that we are followers of Christ and that every day, in every moment, in every situation, we're to act like it. And that, that really comes through loud and clear when we choose joy, regardless of the circumstance. When we choose to be happy because of something that is within, having nothing to do with outside circumstances, because you live here. Because you are our King and our Lord. We humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, come, have your way in our lives. Help us to be more like you. Help us get ourselves out of the way so that you can come and have your way. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.